So what we have is a lot of leftover old techniques that are still being employed by well-meaning coaches that are leading, I think, triathletes on the wrong path. That Triathlon Show, Episode 9. Welcome to another episode of That Triathlon Show. I'm really excited for today's interview. As you may know, I've done a lot of these interviews and have a lot of them in the backlog since I started to conduct these interviews in the fall of 2016, in October, I think it was, and putting them out as uh, videos basically on the website. And now I'm relaunching them as part of the That Triathlon Show podcast. So that's also why in some episodes you may hear me referring to episodes that we haven't heard yet on the show, but they're all coming. So you have that to look forward to. Anyway, of all the interviews that I've done, I'm still considering this one with Caroline Pipes the best of them all. At least it was the most inspiring because Caroline is such an amazing, wonderful, wonderful woman. And uh, we had a fantastic chat and her generosity with her time as well. We spent a good half hour 45 minutes in pre and post interview chats just discussing swimming and and everything that's going on around it so it was just amazing so what we're going to talk about today is basically how some conventional swim technique wisdoms may be holding your swimming back and things that have been taught traditionally may not necessarily be valid if you want to swim faster and improve your swim and Caroline has done a lot of testing on that in her endless pool among other things and she's a swim technique guru so so she knows her stuff before i introduce Caroline and we jump into the interview i just wanted to mention that again going back to all these interviews that i've done so far i sat down and created an ebook which contains all of the best and most interesting learnings that I've gotten out from them and also the ones obviously that I think that you will benefit from as listeners to the podcast. I've gotten to know a few of you now through email conversations. Remember, you're always free to email me, michael at scientifictriathlon.com, michael with a K. And anyway, so that ebook is available for download for free at thattriathlonshow.com. So go and check it out and download it and you'll get it right to your email immediately. So Caroline Pipes resides in Kona, Hawaii, where she coaches swimming and she conducts swim clinics. And uh, she's also a motivational speaker. So she travels worldwide and uh, does speaking gigs. She holds over 200 master's world records in swimming. So that's just insane. Just think about it. 200 world records. And she's a multiple age group world champion. And in 2015, she was inducted into the International Swimming Hall of Fame. So that's pretty hard to beat. All right, without any further ado, let's go right into the interview and talk with Caroline Pipes. Aloha, Michael. Thank you so much for having me on the show. This is very exciting. You're about ready to go to bed and I just woke up. Yeah, we're pretty far away with me being in Helsinki and you in Kona, but, but it's all good. It's, it's easy with the time zones with it being eight o'clock in both places. So... Uh, just briefly fill in on that bio before we dive into your story just a little bit, and then we'll move on to the swim technique stuff. Well, I think one of the things that I think that audience would like to know is, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are really great elite athletes, and they're able to translate what they know into peak performance. 
one of my blessings has been the ability to coach. And I've been uh, teaching swimming technique since I was like 16 years old. And I didn't ever really realize that it was one of my real talents because I always thought my swimming was my talent. But actually the teaching is, I think, where my true gifts lie because I'm able to translate what I'm doing and why I'm doing what I do to make me swim so fast. And I'm able to share that with others. And I think that that's pretty important. And then the other thing is, is that I, I think that there's a lot of people that fear water and fear the swim. And my real goal is not necessarily to teach some technique, it's to teach people to, to learn to love the water so that after the sport of triathlon is perhaps in the past, that they're still swimming because that's really um, a pretty neat thing. Yeah, that's a very good point. And swimming is one of those sports that you can do for as long as you can move, basically. It's uh, not taxing at all on the body, as opposed to, for example, running, which is uh, very corrosive on, on the body. But swimming, you can do like, forever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my mom is 82 and she still travels and competes and dives off the blocks. And her favorite event is the 1500 meter freestyle. And uh, she's getting a little slower. She's now hovering right around 30 minutes for a 1500 meter free. But uh, she's 82. <laughs> and she gets up and puts on her suit and cap and goggles and goes to the pool and swims in the ocean. So yeah, swimming is a lifetime sport. So keep that in mind when you're progressing through swimming that you don't have to get it right away. Hey, your mom is doing really well with, with those times at, at her age. So, and when you say that your true gift is coaching, that may be true, but you also had some real talent as a swimmer and still have, have of course. So can you go into your background How did you start swimming and, and uh, what was your early swimming career like? My early swimming career was uh, kind of uh, had kind of a, an up and down road. I would start out at this one swim team and I really loved the water. And one of the things that I loved so much about the water was how warm and accepting it was. And I loved the approval and praise from the instructors. And I think uh, I, I grew up in a pretty turbulent home and my dad was an alcoholic and my, we were five kids. And But when I got in the water, all that seemed to melt away. So on a lot of different levels, swimming took care of a lot of emptiness that I felt inside me. And for many years I swam, I swam very competitively up until uh, all through my teens, I was considered uh, to be an Olympic hopeful. But around my 15th year, I had uh, in a very momentous occasion. I placed in one the junior national swimming championships in the 400 IM medley. And that same year, I also felt my the effects of an alcoholic buzz. And as soon as I started drinking, I didn't want to have anything to do with the liquid in the pool. I wanted to only to explore the liquid in the bottle. And uh, it derailed my swimming career. And I didn't uh, get it back on track until I was age 31. And when I was 31, found myself in a pretty deep, dark place. And my addiction had pretty much taken over and ruled my life. And I returned to the water to heal. And the rest is kind of aquatic history. I'm really grateful for the water in many levels, not just for an exercise standpoint, but from a place of acceptance. And so when I get in the water, that's what I feel. I feel love and acceptance. And everything else that I do is awesome. You know, just if I swim fast, that's great. But just being in the water. And that's why being in Kona is so beautiful. The water is just so inviting and so pretty. And, and you never know who you're going to run into or what you're going to run into when you swim in Kona. Dolphins, whales, your best friends, people from all over the world. You just bump into them on the Ironman course. So, so swimming has healed me. And it's something that I'm very grateful that it's a part of my life. Yeah, it's obviously sad to hear that you kind of maybe didn't get to where you could have gone because of, of the addiction that you that you had. But but on the other hand, as you say, 
swimming healed you and got you back on track. So that's that's just amazing that it could do that to you. And and you've written a book about this and you do a lot of motivational speaking. So tell us a little bit more about that, about your book and your motivational speaking. Well, the uh, thank you. The, the book is called The Do-Over. And really, that's when I got my life back on track at age 31. I was actually handed this do-over. And all of the missed opportunities and all of the things that I just carelessly had thrown away, you know, university scholarship, swimming opportunities, opportunities to potentially go to the Olympics. I just tossed them away. And I, I got those all back. First, I got my brain back, which was amazing considering my addiction had led me to drinking a liter of vodka a day. And so I was pretty pickled. Then but my brain came back and my body came back. And within a year, I'm swimming lifetime best. And, and within six months, I was actually breaking a master's world record. And then I got to go back to university again and swim on a full swimming scholarship. And, and actually, all of my times I posted in my adult life have been significantly faster than I was when I was younger, which begs the question, if I had done it back then, what would have happened? But that's a coulda, shoulda, woulda. And I'm much more happy that I'm still in the sport today. I've been sober for now 23 years. I've been back in the water 23 years. And all of those records and stuff, they're they are great. But the camaraderie, the sport, the health and fitness, the opportunities that it's created for me to help inspire others, that no matter how far down the scale you go, no matter what track you know, you've led you can turn it around and do it over. And there's just a lot of messages in there about just, you know, seeking progress, not perfection. Michael, do you know why people tend not to follow through on their well-meaning goals and intentions? No, I don't. But I know that if you write them down, then you have 42% more likelihood of achieving them. 42%. That's, that's some scientific. I just read this last night. Part of the reason why people don't follow through with their weight loss or their exercise program is they, they keep looking at where they're trying to go and they fail to recognize how far they've already come. And they don't look back and go, wow, look, you know, two weeks ago, I didn't, I was just sitting on the couch for two weeks for, you know, for six months. And I've walked three times in that period of time, but they think that's not good enough. And so right. they measure and judge. And so I think that what we need to do is we need to celebrate our progress and quit seeking that perfection, which is the end goal. And then what will happen is pretty soon, if you keep seeking, you know, just keep working, you know, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, that you actually end up at your goal and you're much more satisfied because of it. And, uh, but most people fail. You know, right. It's very they, easy they to become too much. Yeah, it's easy to become blind to your own progress. And especially as triathlete, I think we're so type A a lot of the times that we don't take the time to celebrate those small wins and, and the progress that we do make. And uh, I think that your attitude towards this and uh, is absolutely fantastic, which is probably what makes you such a, a great motivational speaker. So I'll link to a few episodes on other podcasts that you've done that covers your book and your, your background story in more detail, because I think that the listeners should really go and listen to them and, and hear more about your background background because you have such an inspirational story truly but i want to get into a bit about swim technique as well and uh give some advice to the listeners based on, on what you've seen in your in your coaching practice and i actually wrote an article about this a while back that many of the listeners may have read already and uh, you were kind enough to help me out a lot with that one and, and give some tips and comments on it and so just go into it a little bit because you have a few main things about swim technique that you say in the conventional swim technique that you are against and uh, that you 
do not suggest that people do that they, they should do some other things instead and can you go into that a little bit absolutely this is always fun because i you know when i when i work with a client and i get a lot of clients that come to kona for a variety of reasons whether they're here to race or whether they're just here to come work with me um and i realize that when i'm working with somebody that they have a lot of information even if they say oh i'm not coached by anybody i don't really have a philosophy there is enough information out there that they've been influenced and and they're kind of stuck on that what i have discovered is that what swimming looks like and what people are actually doing are often two very different things and so it's really helpful to have the coach also be somebody that's in the water practicing and testing out these methods all the time and then putting them to the test by racing with them because you know nothing is going to be really useful unless it actually works a lot of people will say that you know i can't swim like an olympian i'm not built like an olympian they're special people no they're not they are hard working and they have talent but the common things that make them go are all the same so what we have is a lot of leftover old techniques that are still being employed by well-meaning coaches that are leading i think triathletes on the wrong path and one of the biggest ones is and this is fun for you i know was not pushing at the back and now think about it so we've got a lot of triathletes in the audience now let me tell you i'm going to go send you out on a 5 hour bike ride and your instructions are you need to ride the entire time in your hardest gear your absolutely hardest gear and you would look at me and say coach that is crazy you want me to ride hills in my hard gear you want me to ride downhill i can see that but why would i want to do that well that's the same thing with swimming why are you pushing the last part of your stroke the hard gear yes there is power but it's inappropriate for what you want to do which is to get your hand out of the water as quick as you can so that's a really big one and uh, a lot of these techniques are leftover pieces like your appendix it's leftover the push at the back of the stroke comes from the old s pole because in an s pole your hand slid out in a sliding motion you couldn't apply power there in the rest next part of the phase on the in sweep of the s pole you couldn't apply power there so where was your power defaulted to where is it defaulted michael to the back of the stroke yep in a tricep extension which pushes the water back and actually buries you so um with the early vertical forearm or a hayabo catch that we now employ you set up the power much sooner and you can exit it a lot easier so think about it a more appropriate gear for your bike where your cadence is keeping at a high tempo and you're still pushing watts and you're still moving fast but you're not getting bogged down by that hard heavy gear so that's one of the really the you know the biggest things is like if you can get unstuck from the pole you're going to be so much faster right away now a lot of people do think if i'm going quicker in the back that that means that you shorten up in the front nope if you've watched any elite swimmer they all have a glide in the front or some kind of pause and so we've just moved the stroke forward as opposed to being more in the middle to the back it's in the front third i don't like to say front quadrant it's in the front third and uh, you can apply a pull without ex- having to do a push Yeah and uh, would you say that there's also a difference between open water swimming and the shorter pool swimming where the longest race that pool swimmers do is the 1500 basically which is over in just a few short minutes for for the best of the best or is it the same for them that they they are transferring over to less of a push at the back of the stroke You know that's a that's a great question for me honestly no difference between open water and pool swimming as far as training and here is why we need to look at it when we are looking at olympic swimmers we're only seeing them demonstrate 1 minute 2 minutes or 15 minutes of their swimming how much are they training per day 
four to five hours. They are training like a long distance swimmer, which is another whole episode on a talk show as far as overtraining and swimming. Because why are they training 10, 20K a day to swim a race that's one minute? That's kind of crazy. But nonetheless, Olympic athletes are training those kinds of distances, which is similar to what a triathlete would do. So they're actually swimming with an easier, faster stroke because they've got to do it all day long. So I think open water swimming and pool swimming are very similar. And it's super important. Besides the, the pull and the push in the back, the, the number one thing that swimmers and triathletes need to be aware of is the first thing you have to have before you do anything is balance. And if you're rolling like a log or finishing your stroke, you're constantly losing your balance. And if you don't establish good balance, you can't put power on it. It's kind of like you've just fallen off your bike. You're on the ground. It doesn't matter how expensive your bike is. It doesn't matter how fit you are. If you are lost your balance, you're on the ground and you're not going anywhere. So that's the same thing with good swimmers versus lesser efficient swimmers. They're losing their balance and they're spending energy to get back up on the bike. Keep your balance. And that means go wider. And by going wider, you mean what exactly? Oh, on the reach of the stroke, instead of coming in over your head, which is a lot of people have been taught to do, you reach it slightly wider than your shoulder. So it won't stay that wide. As a matter of fact, on the reach, uh, slightly wider than shoulder with hand placement is the widest part of the stroke. But from there, it's going to actually track in. Kind of like thinking about if you're in a canoe and you put a paddle, you, re you would reach the paddle out, you would keep the blade flat, you would connect with that water, and you would relax and release the paddle. It's the same thing. And, and the paddle would flow right alongside the boat as close as possible. Not under the boat, not outside the boat, but right tracking right alongside. We're the boat, your hand is your paddle, and then... Um, and then the lead arm out there taking a glide is kind of like the outrigger on a Hawaiian canoe paddle, you know, or a Hawaiian uh, canoe. So, so you really want to have that slightly wider than shoulder hand width entry. Now, I do notice that a lot of the Olympians are slightly narrower than that. If you have really flexible shoulders, I think you could try that. But I find it easiest for the average person to set up a high elbow catch from the slightly wider than hand entry or shoulder width hand entry. Yeah, and I think that also for many triathletes, they don't have the proprioceptive awareness in their um in their body that they they think that they maybe do their hand entry just in line in front of their shoulder but they actually end up crossing over so if they if they would just try to consciously do a slightly wider ha hand entry they might end up right in front of their shoulder so you you have some margin for error there. right right one of the best ways to set the, the spacing of the hand entry is to do head-up water polo. Oh, by the way, head-up water polo is a great drill to learn how to do the stroke because water polo swimming with your head out of the water or rescue swimming is the same thing. You are having to swim very efficiently because your bottom is on the bottom. So you're dragging a lot of weight. So intuitively, you would put your hand slightly wider than your shoulder. You would do an early catch. You would not let your hand get stuck. So swimming water polo is a great way to start, you know, entry point for this stroke. The other thing would be too is just forget about looking straight down. Just go ahead and use your eyes and look forward. I mean, swimming is a beautiful sport. You you can use your own eyes to watch your stroke. Uh, all you got to do is look forward and and don't breathe. Or you could use a snorkel if you'd like, but it's not great body position, but you can see where, where your hand is going, what it's doing, is it pulling under your body? And, and by the way, Michael, anytime you sweep your hand under your body, that's either to take the pressure off the, the your shoulder or to counterbalance from something else that you've done with the other arm. So, you know, it's a dance, you know, the left does this, the right does that, the left does this, the right does that. What we're trying to do is stop dancing and move forward because we want to go forward and spend the least amount of energy to get there. So head up water polo is great 
to get your hand in the right spot. Watching with your own eyes, your swimming stroke as it unfolds in front of you is another. Excellent. Critical because if... Yeah. And uh, then you mentioned the uh, early vertical forearm and getting as much power as possible in that front third of the stroke uh, in the in the catch phase. So anything else to with regards to the catch that we should bear in mind? Well, most people think that that catch is really elusive and they've they've heard about it. They've you know, they read about it, but it's never been available to them. Well, you have to start the stroke from the right place. So when you enter a little bit wider than the shoulder, that bend, that over the coral reef bend. So you want to just, you could go swim in a kiddie pool, you know, like that one that's a half meter deep and go swim around and try and just think, okay, I don't want to touch the bottom. And if you enter wide enough and don't roll too much, you're going to be able to like lift your hand up so that your fingers don't touch the bottom. Or in, in, in Kona, we actually do go some over coral reefs and it makes it very obvious. Oh, the elbow just kind of pops up. But uh, I'd say the last thing that I would suggest is the power phase is extremely brief. But think about any other sport. Let's take golf, for example. So golf, you're going to hit that ball with a lot of force, but you have to let it go. And if you don't let it go, the ball goes with the club. Um, think about really good runners. When a really good runner, and Michael, I can tell you're probably a pretty darn good runner. When, when you blaze past somebody in a race, all they see is your body in balance and your feet coming off the ground very quickly. That's what a really good runner looks like. So what's happening is two things. You are putting the energy down into the ground, but more importantly, you're getting out of it. Because if you don't get out of what you've thrown down onto the ground, you're a slow runner. The fast runners have quick, snappy feet. Good swimmers have quick, snappy arms. They're getting out before they get stuck or before they get grounded. So you can see these uh, images all over the place in the sport of triathlon that uh, we want to emulate that will apply in swimming. I'm really confused why out of all of the sports in the world, swimming has the longest and the hardest power phase of anything. And we're in a medium that's 800 times more dense than air. So get your power, get out, don't get stuck. Yeah, it makes so much sense when you do those comparisons. And even cycling is the same, even though some people may think that they actually pull up on uh, on the upstroke, but you really don't. You just try to not resist the upstroke with uh, with the foot yeah. and or not resist the opposite downstroke. So so you really have the mo- almost all of the power in the downstroke phase, even in cycling. So yeah, yeah it, it makes makes total sense. So so how do you okay? Let's let's wrap up quickly. So we got what are the points that you've mentioned so far that the listeners uh, should take away? Yeah, well, actually, I want to go back to something you just said about the cycling. What are what's a power tap? Is that a measuring tool? Power taps? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it. it's a brand for a power meter. Okay, think about it. You tap the power. In swimming, you tap the power. It's just a tap. You, it's not a push. I mean, it's not this big thing. So uh, overview of the stroke. First of all, don't rotate too much because the more you rotate, the more you're going to lose your balance and your hand's going to drift into the center. Secondly, enter with a slightly wider than hand, a shoulder with hand entry. All right. Take a glide. That is your off before you're on. You get to rest at this point. All right. Over the coral reef catch, apply a brief pulse or tap of power. And then relax and release and let the hand sweep out to the side with very little effort. Now, it's still going to look like a normal pull, but you're going to realize that you're probably doing, it's going to mentally feel like about half that pull. And then when it comes to arm recovery, anything goes. 
It just needs to be easy and relaxed and light. And all you have to do is look at the Olympians to see that 95% of the Olympians in the Olympics in Rio were swimming with either a swinging arm stroke or a straight arm recovery. Very, very few people use high elbow recovery. So, and that's it. Uh, as far as the kick, once you get your balance, your legs will come in line and they will not have to work very hard anymore. Because right now, with all the rolling you're doing in the front of your stroke, your legs are in survival mode and they are kicking like crazy. And it's the largest muscle group in your body and it's sucking all your air into your legs. So once you get balanced in the front, your legs will be relieved of that their duty and you'll be able to have more oxygen to use for your upper body. And then just simply tap your toes. You don't have to kick hard. Just keep them close together and tap them. So that's it in a nutshell. Perfect. And we'll have some a couple of videos, one of you swimming in the show notes and then another one where you're instructing a, a coaching client in, in the endless pool that, that will be very useful for, for the listeners to go and have a look at after the fact, Perfect. after this interview. And uh, yeah, how do you then go about, when now that you know that you need to do these things, how, how do you actually practice them? Do you have any drills or what do you, do you suggest that uh, you do to correct these things? I, I want to go back to one thing. I forgot to tell you, where did I learn all this information besides my swimming? I have an endless pool in Kona and it is a swimming scientific tool that has no opinions. And so I have tried everything in there and it's very obvious. If you go faster, you run into the motor. If you go slower, you get pushed back. So while these might sound like opinions, they're actually tested theories in a scientific environment that doesn't have an opinion. And that's where I've learned the most of the things that I can. I would say the first thing is use your own eyes to see what your stroke is doing. Secondly, have somebody videotape you. I want you just to grab a lifeguard, uh, get your iPhone. You don't need to be underwater and just swim towards the camera and swim away. And when you swim away, you are going to be shocked at how much movement you see. That's you losing your balance, all that wiggling going on. And then I would simply to do what I call a surfboard body balance drill. It's lay on the water, hands outstretched like you're going to do a pull up and try and float and relax and get your body up on the water. And then as soon as you get nice and relaxed, just start paddling your body like a surfboard and breathe and kick, but softly. And then you will feel how much easier it is. And, and Michael, here's the clue that you know you're headed in the right direction. The better you get at swimming, the less you feel. So for instance, when you're riding your bike and you have a tailwind, it feels so easy. It feels like it, you're doing nothing. That's what good swimming feels like because you're not creating a lot of drag. Turn into that headwind. You force it, you work hard, your body position suffers, your energy gets drained. So effortless swimming actually does feel like less. And then from there, you can apply power. I wouldn't worry about speed, though. I just work on technique. It's a good time of the year to do that, too. Yeah, it is. And uh, you're absolutely right. When you The things that you feel the most in swimming is uh, when you're accelerating or decelerating. Obviously, for every yes! deceleration that you do, you need to make an acceleration. But that's where you really require force to maintain speed. You don't actually need any force basically just by the laws of physics but obviously we have drag and and the resist natural resistance from the water coming into play here but but you should try to minimize those accelerations and decelerations anyway yeah you know what though most people feel that those things are good they love that feeling of having the water move and, and they don't realize that that's actually a sign that they're really inefficient because they're speeding up and slowing down and that's that's a horrible thing to do in on a car on a bike and especially in the water yeah all right so i think that we actually we covered a lot here and uh i think that's uh that's very a lot of things that the, the listeners can go and do with swim technique and you, you already said i was going to ask you about 
what sort of training programs, if if any, you make for triathletes and swimmers, and and if you have to do any intervals. But um, yeah, I think you already answered that by saying that you only work on technique, and and I think that for most, that's probably they probably have a lot to work on on technique. So so yeah, or do you have any any other opinion on that? Too? Yes. Well, right now, since it's winter time, I think it's a great time to go to the pool and not really work on on going fast. As a matter of fact, most triathletes have uh, I'd say two gears. They have medium media and medium fast and then they have really actually i'm done like then they start putting on the equipment and by the way my favorite piece of equipment is the alpha fin by aquasphere the foam fins dave scott loves them joanna zeiger loves them natasha badman chris mccormick they all have the blue foam fins they're awesome but um i would say that if you were to work on one thing from a training perspective for a triathlete learn how to go slow It takes more balance. It takes more effort to go swim slow so that you can work on technique and you don't have to worry about getting out of breath. And if you can do learn slow, you can use that for recovery. You can use that for technique and you can use that to really change the speed. So I would say really work on your speeds. The other one would be on the opposite end of the spectrum. Work on going really fast, like 25s on two minutes as fast as you can go. And when you start going fast, that's what's gonna, you're gonna kind of get into a more natural rhythm of what your the stroke should feel like. And so swim really slow, swim really fast and quit working so much in the middle. Okay, so really polarized approach. That's, that's very interesting. Good stuff. So are you ready for the rapid fire question segment? In that case, we'll move into that. Perfect, let's do it. Okay, so what's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to swimming or triathlon? Oh, right now my favorite book is what I'm reading right now. It's Perfectly Yourself. It's by Matthew Kelly, and it really helps uh, solidify what I'm trying to reach, which is to be more okay with myself and less concerned with what other people think about what I'm doing. Because we all struggle with self-esteem issues, and we want to be our best version of ourselves. And so I am really working on always trying to be that. And you know what that means? It means letting go of the little stuff and the things that are holding me back from being a better me. And you might have already answered this next question, but what's your favorite piece of gear or equipment? Alpha Fin by Aquasphere, the blue foam fin. Also, Michael Phelps has a pair out with Aquasphere. They're bright green. They're made of EVA foam. They float. They travel well. And uh, they're like putting on, okay, if you had a magic pair of shoes that could help you run like two minutes faster per kilometer, would you wear them? Yep, we have them in swimming. But just don't get too attached to them. I suggest wearing them on the second half of your training session, not the first, because otherwise you'll never want to take them off. What's a good swimming workout that the listeners can take with them and do at the pool tomorrow? Perfect. Here's a really simple set. First of all, make sure you've warmed up at an effort level of three or four on a scale of one to 10. And you should warm up for at least 15 minutes. Then here's a great set. Really simple. It's four fifties and you can repeat it as many times as you want. One is a very slow speed. Number two is for on the way down slow on the way back fast. Number three is all fast as fast as you can go. Number four is active recovery. So basically what you're doing is you're really changing up the gears and you're giving yourself 20 to 30 seconds rest in between each one of those so that you can actually start feeling the difference between the speeds. Get your times. You should see a drop in time of three to four seconds per 50. And then the one that's active recovery number four does not need to be timed. You just reset button. And you could do that three or four times and really compare your times because most people are going to be okay at medium fast, but they're not going to be very good at the easy or the very fast. 
Excellent. And what are the three most overprescribed drills that you see in swimming? Fingertip drill. I have no idea. That goes with the old S pole. If you push in the back, the only way to get your arm out is to lift the elbow up and draw a straight line. But the problem is your shoulder's in the way and you do that a few million times and you're not going to have a very good shoulder. If you do do fingertip drill, draw a half circle rather than a straight line. And that will start promoting a more relaxed, comfortable recovery so you can swim for a lifetime. And finally, what's the personal habit that's helped you achieve success? I eat lots of donuts. Just kidding. <laughs> I love our pastries. Okay. I think I'm able to look back and learn from situations that didn't go my way. I mean, they say, you know, you get an experience when you don't get what you really want, you get an experience. And looking at your experiences and not and, and learning from them, I think that's really helped. It's like, how could I do this a little bit better? But I think one of the biggest thing is just not take myself too seriously, because really in the end, it's just a stupid swimming race or just a stupid triathlon or just a stupid 10K, really. It doesn't define who you are. And in the end, your family and friends are still going to love you. You just need to work on continuing to love yourself even when you don't reach your goal. So it's just a stupid fill in the blank. You know, and have fun. That's it. Yeah, I was going to say you seem so darn positive all the time that that's got to have something <laughs> to do with it. <laughs> so, Marlene, this has been really excellent. Uh, thank you for, for telling us all, all of these things about, about swim technique. I, I'm blown away by, by the knowledge that you have and the, the videos that we'll include on the show notes and all the, the summaries of, of the things that you've said that, that the listeners can go there and have a look at it and take your time to go through all the material because there is a lot of things to wrap your head around basically with, with the things that you, you've told us. Where can the listeners yeah. find out more about you and, uh, and what you got going on? And is there anything that you can find? Yeah, I have two websites, aquaticedge.org. Um, and that's where you're going to find a lot of articles and some videos and things. And then carlinpipes.com is more geared towards, it's toward, towards everything, both the speaking and the book and everything. So kind of bounce between those two sites. But uh, I do travel globally to do some technique workshops. So if you're interested in having me come to your location to work with you or your triathletes, I'd be more than happy to fit you into my schedule and share this knowledge. But I think, you know, really one of the things that I don't teach swimming, I teach self-awareness. And what I hope that the listeners leave with today is you're wondering, what do I do differently? So start with that figure out what you do and then see what you can do differently. And the cool thing is, is you can always go back to what you used to do. I mean, I tell people in Kona, you know, if you do a lesson with me right before the race, I can figure out a few things that are going to really make a big difference. But at the very worst, you're going to go back to the stroke that got you here. So that's not so bad, right? So I'd love to help you. And then also to check on with YouTube. I'm planning on doing a whole series of very short clips on all of the details we just discussed. So I'm going to have a YouTube channel at Carlin Pipes. Excellent. And we'll include all those links in the show notes, as always. And there you have it. I hope that you enjoyed that interview as much as I enjoyed talking to Carlin. My main takeaways from this interview, obviously not pushing through your stroke past your hip was a big revelation for me when, when we first chatted with Carlin about it. And uh, that is something that to this day I try to implement in my swimming and find extremely useful and actually, just a few days ago, I participated in a in a coaching course weekend here in, in Finland where one of the best Finnish swim coaches around was teaching us. And, uh, and he also prescribes this method of swimming, not pushing through 
past your hip or pushing through to the end of your stroke. So that that was very, very good to to see that. And I actually had the very, very fantastic opportunity to get a one-on-one lesson with him, a swim lesson. And so we fine-tuned that even further and and I got some very good tips. So I w- just wanted to give a, a shout out to to Rane Rainer Nieminen, and who who is the swim coach I'm talking about. So thank you, Rane, for all your all your help. I really really appreciate it. And another big takeaway from this episode is: Did you notice how positive Caroline is and how happy and uh, full of energy she is? And that's positive attitude. I think that's whether it's triathlon or life in general. That's something that that is going to stand you in good stead, whatever you do. So that positive attitude is something that really really inspired me. So we're coming to the end of the show, and just to wrap up, I want to say that. Remember to go to thattriathlonshow.com. You can find the show notes there. And also remember to get that ebook, The Best of That Triathlon Show. Thank you for listening to us. I've been very happy with how the show has been taking off. And I'm sure that a lot of you are helping out, out by spreading the word. So keep doing that. I really, really appreciate it. And I appreciate you listening to the show. This show is nothing without you, the listener. The next episode of the show will be a solo episode about time management for triathletes. So stay tuned for that. And until then, keep training smart and keep loving triathlons.